Hey everyone, I'm Megan. And I'm Joe. And we're so excited that you joined us for Christmas at Grace Life. If it's your first time, we're glad you're here. If you fill out the connection card in the back of the seat in front of you and take it to the connection area after the service, we have a gift for you to say thank you for coming. We wanted to invite you back for our regular service times on Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.45 a.m., and 12.30 p.m. Every week we have worship, teaching, free coffee, G-Kids for infants through fifth grade. There are lots of ways to get involved and get connected. Whether Columbia is your home or you're here for school or military, we want you to find a home, make some friends, and find community wherever you are in your life. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook at gracelife.church and download our app wherever you get your apps. Merry Christmas from all of us here at Grace Life. Amen. I'll tell you what, we're having so much fun worshiping. We believe worship should be fun here at Grace Life. So much fun to see what God is doing, to get to come together. It's such a great time of year. And everybody's favorite time of year is Christmas, right? Except for Scrooge, but even he changes by the end of the movie, so it's all good. So good. We just take a moment and let's welcome God here, everybody. Tell you what, God, we, we, we love you. When we think about what you've done for us and, and we truly understand the meaning of what this season represents, it's, it's not just about giving and it's not just about being kind to other people, but it is about celebrating you making everything that was wrong right by bringing the Savior for us, by bringing the Savior of the world. God, we thank you for what you have done for us. We celebrate that here tonight. In Jesus' name, everybody says? Amen. 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 I tell you what, go ahead and have a seat if you would. What do you guys think of the worship team? I think they deserve another hand. Don't you think so? Yeah. Um, I tell you what, that, that was pretty impressive. And I, I'm glad that they, they, they gave me a moment. Because they, they were having so much fun, they agreed I could have a little bit of time. So far, fourth service, they're still letting me come out, which is pretty good. It was, it was tough to make sure they're going to let me do that and keep going. But hey, if you're a guest, we're especially glad to have you here. Uh, as Kent said earlier, we know you could be anywhere for Christmas. And for you to share your holiday with us, we're, we're grateful for that. And so we hope you have a great time. We hope you experience God's presence for us. That's the most important thing always. And uh, the truth is, Christmas is just a lot of fun to worship because we're celebrating the Savior coming into the world. And, and when we think about all of God's goodness for us and what He's done, uh, that, that changes kind of how we celebrate and, and how we worship. And, and the truth is, even people who would not say that they are worshipers of God, even this time of year, they're displaying some of these things we might call themes of Christmas, you know, like kindness and, and, and generosity and, and peace and well, the truth is those are really just parts of God's nature. And so you've got the people who worship God declaring how great he is for sending a Savior, and you've got people who don't worship God acting a little more like God. And I think that's one of the reasons that we all love Christmas so much is because it is so much closer to God's intent for our actual lives, at least for a month, right? And uh, too bad when January comes, the kindness goes away, and nobody lets you out in traffic anymore. You're on your own. Actually, I don't know. I was, I was driving the other day. It was pretty crazy out there. So uh, talking about these Christmas themes, what I actually want to talk to you about tonight is one of those. One in particular, this idea of peace. Uh, what happened for me just a couple of weeks ago, we were doing a series here, and uh, I was preaching through this passage that talks about peace. It, it specifically says that 
the fruit of the Spirit of God living in us, one of those things is peace. And uh, for my preparation for that sermon, I was doing a little bit of a word study because, you know, it, sometimes we just all use what, what we think. We put what we think on things, and, and uh, it's my job to make sure I don't just tell you what I think, but what the Bible actually means. So I was doing a little bit of study, and we might say peace is just where everybody gets along, but the Bible defined peace as freedom from inner turmoil. And if you were here for that series, you reminded me, you remember me talking about that. And don't worry, I'm not going to go back and do that. But as I was preparing for that message, what hit me as I was sitting in my office that day uh, was the, the question, am I free from inner turmoil? I mean, I'm, I'm the one that's going to get up and preach about it. So you'd, you'd hope that there's a little bit better going on in here. And I had to realize like, no, <laughs> I, I'm not free from inner turmoil. I, I, and, and when I started thinking about what takes away my inner peace, what, what causes turmoil, uh, I realize the, the list is really long, ridiculously long, right? Anybody with me on that one? Yeah. And uh, I started thinking about, okay, you know, some of those are maybe a little bit justifiable. Some of the things on my list are, are, are big deal things and, and things you just wish wouldn't happen to you. And so I just started to think, but what about the, the ridiculous stuff? What about the stuff that shouldn't bother me that really does? And one of those things on the list was traffic. If you've been around Grace Life, I have told you my love for traffic in at least one sermon a month, kind of. That's just kind of how that goes. I, I hate traffic and the way people drive around here. And uh, it just so happened that particular week, uh, a basketball team named Stephen F. Austin took away my piece. Does anybody get that one? At least one guy's with me out there, I know. God bless you, brother. We, that was humble just to admit. But uh, So I, here's what happened, though. I, I realized the number one thing that takes away my piece that absolutely should not, because it has like no real value in life, is a letter from my HOA. Does anybody share this frustration with me? I live in the summit, and I'm telling you, there has got to be a lady who works there that her entire job description is to make the, the people who live in this community miserable. That, that, that has to be what they hired her for, and, and nothing else. And then he gave her way too many stamps. And you know, I've told you some of these stories before. It's a true story. I, I got a letter one time telling me my black mailbox wasn't black enough. Seriously, they wanted another coat of black paint on it. I got a, a letter one time telling me that I, I had not weed-eated closely enough, so I went out and weed-eated, and then right after that I got another letter that said my weed-eater had scratched the white paint off of my mailbox post and I needed to go and paint it again. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm going to slap somebody eventually. That's true, your pastor wants to slap people on occasion. I didn't say I did, I just said I wanted to, so I only sort of have to repent halfway kind of thing but I'm gonna tell you the funniest letter because I, I finally got the letters to stop coming and uh, I bet some of you want to know the secret to this so uh, what would happen is I would get these letters and my blood pressure would just go through the roof and and my kids and wife figured out if, if there's a letter from the HOA in the mail don't be around when daddy checks the mail because it, it just triggers me and the reason it triggers me is because they use words they don't need to use you know like violation Instead of just saying your grass is tall, they say you are in violation of our covenants. And then instead of just saying, please mow it, they say things like, we're going to fine you. And in order to make you pay the fines, we're going to put a lien against your house. And words like violation and fine and lien, I don't like when other people control me. I've got my own control issues. And then they do the, real, the thing that really just ticks me off the most is they tell me I've got 10 days to remedy this violation. 
And uh, if any of you know or have tried to get an appointment with me, it, it takes more than 10 days to get that to happen. I'm busy. I've, I've got things happening. And I've, sometimes I go out of town for more than 10 days. And for them to dictate what I'm doing in the next 10 days where they're putting a lien against my house makes me want to double slap one of them. But so, so I got this letter one time, and it told me I had 10 days to remedy the situation. And the problem in the letter was a picture of all of the cars that had come to my house for our small group. We have life groups here at Grace Life. And uh, the problem is my, my life group wasn't a small group that time around. We had about 40 people in it. So I'll, I'll give them that we had a lot of cars on the street. I'll give them that much. And, uh, but somebody was getting upset with all these cars. So they took a picture of it, and they sent a complaint in. And so I'm getting a letter two days later. The meeting is an hour and a half long. The cars had been gone for like 48 hours by the time I get the letter that says I have 10 days to remedy this situation. But I know actually in about five days I'm going to repeat the situation instead of remedy it. So I'm pretty frustrated. And so I go over to the office to start to, to talk about this with them and, and explain to the lady, you didn't need to send this. Because I live near the office, so she has to drive by my house going to the office. And I made it very clear, like, before you got in that day, when you checked your email and there was a complaint about me, you had just driven by. It was already remedied. The violation was already taken care of. You didn't need to send this. And she says, sir, if a complaint is registered, we have to send it out. I said, no, you don't. You can have a brain. Yes, I literally did say that. And, and, and we kept going from there. So she got a little more animated, and I got a little more animated, and so I just let the pastor come out. I said, you know, I happen to know the covenants, and I had, there is no problem with people inviting people over for Thanksgiving dinner, and, and they might park on the street. Of course, they'll be gone in a couple hours. And, and I know that people can have birthday parties and people park on the street. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that. I said, so you're actually going to put a lien against a pastor's house for having a Bible study in the Bible belt. Are you sure you want to do that? I haven't had a letter since. <laughs> and I am at complete peace, just so you know. Anyway, so as I was thinking about all that, clearly this was just about two weeks ago, and Christmas is everywhere, right? And we've got all these decorations that say peace, and we're, we're talking about peace, and we've got songs, and we're singing about peace. And uh, we even know that Linus comes out and tells us we're supposed to have peace on earth, but we don't see peace on earth. And so the reason I wanted to talk about that tonight is because I know what can begin to happen is we, we think about all of these warm and fuzzy feelings we get at Christmas and all of these things that we talk about and decorate our house with, they could maybe just be platitudes. They could just be ideals that we talk about, but we don't really believe God will ever do, that he'll never really make this a reality in our lives. And we become disappointed and we're going to go into a new year and We've got 11 more months before those platitudes come back around where we've got to live a real life. So what I really want to talk to us about today is, is how to have real peace. I, I want us to have peace, and we can have peace. But if we're going to have real peace, we have to have the kind of peace God actually promises to give us. And so that's what we're going to look at. Uh, the good news is I'm only going to show you three little scriptures tonight, three little verses. And uh, I think it totals six sentences altogether, so it'll be quick and painless. And, uh, but, but check these out, uh, three of them. And two of them are by Jesus, two are what Jesus said. And one of them was said about Jesus that we sing songs about this time of year. So they'll be on the screens right here, and you can look at them. And the first thing that Jesus said, do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, 
<laughs> I just think that's funny. Now, now maybe uh, you've read your Bible a lot and, and you knew that spoiler alert was kind of coming. But the truth is, if you're not familiar with reading the Bible a lot and you've heard about Jesus being called the Prince of Peace, right? I mean, it was prophesied hundreds of years before his birth. Uh, that wonderful counselor, everlasting father, Prince of Peace. That's, that's who he is. He's coming, right? And uh, Isaiah said that long, long ago. And then we sing all these songs about peace. So you would think Jesus' answer would have been yes. But his answer was no. I didn't come to bring peace. The truth is to tell you, I, I came to bring division. And what that means is we, we get the idea that everybody's always going to get along. And Jesus is saying, actually, the truth is I'm going to cause more trouble than I'm going to solve, at least for a while. He even went on to say, look, here's what's going to happen. When people believe in me, there are going to be people who don't believe in me that are going to hate those people. And there's going to cause frustration and tension. There, there are going to be mothers that turn against daughters. There are going to be fathers that turn against sons. There are going to be brothers that turn against sisters. Because anybody who stands for me is going to have someone that's frustrated about it. I've got a good friend of mine here, he, uh, a little over a year ago, he was atheist, grew up in an atheistic home, the whole family wanted nothing to do with God, and now, man, he is excited for what Jesus is doing, uh, he started Bible college, he's going to become a pastor, amazing things are happening in his family, can you imagine how family visits are going for him right now, right? I mean, there's just division everywhere, there are wars, wars that have been fought between nations, because some believe in Jesus as the Son of God, and some other nations, or at least the, the predominant number of people in them, believe Jesus is not the Son of God. And it's their job to do something about those who believe Jesus is the Son of God. He knew, and he said all along, there's going to be more division than there's going to be peace. Second thing Jesus said, he was talking to his disciples closer to the end of his time on earth. And he said, I've said these things to you, so that in me you may have peace. Because in the world you're going to have trouble or tribulation. But, but take heart. Because I've overcome the world. And it kind of ends on like a cheery note. But take heart, I've overcome the world. But let's just back up for a minute because I did not read the whole passage to you. It was a couple of chapters that Jesus had been talking. And, and he says, I've said these things so that you'd have peace. So if you're imagining, what are the things that he would have said? What are the kind of things that he would have said to people to, to have peace? Like, well, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to heaven, and streets will be gold, and you're going to come with me, and you're never going to have another problem, and the world's going to love you. And... But that's not what he said. What he actually said was, the world is going to hate you. They're specifically going to hate you because of me. Matter of fact, I'm going to leave. <laughs> the world's going to hate you, and I'm going to leave you, and you can't come with me right now. And you're going to feel like you've been abandoned. And they're going to persecute you. And I'm thinking, okay, and I read the Bible with a sense of humor. I don't know if you do or not. But I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I know Jesus is supposed to be perfect, and he is perfect. That's the only way this works. But does Jesus being perfect include, like, grammar? Because to say, the world is going to hate you, I'm going to leave you, you're going to feel abandoned, you're going to be persecuted, so peace! I'm thinking, Jesus, you got the word wrong. Like, seriously, something's not working here. But if you go back to the definition, he got the word exactly right. See, what he promises is freedom from inner turmoil. He never promises freedom from outer turmoil. Matter of fact, he makes it real clear that if I tell you outer turmoil is coming, if I describe it to you so well that you could, could just describe your entire day, when it happens, you'll go, by golly, Jesus was right. He must actually be in charge. He must have actually overcome. I can be at rest now. The whole idea is that we can be at peace because he told us life's going to be hard. 
Yeah, but, but when we get to the last part of that, right, it ends on a happy note. Hey, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And, and some people read this to, to think that it erases what he just said. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And, and so they think what that means is that we're not really going to have trouble in the world because Jesus overcame the world, right? No, that's not what it means at all. What it means is, like, I'm, I'm going to give you an analogy of a football game. And what it means is Jesus says, you've won. I've won. I've seen the score. I determined the score. But you're still going to have to play the game. And if you've ever watched a football game, that means you're going to get hit. No one plays a football game without getting hit. Matter of fact, some of you are going to get hurt. I've watched many football games. I've never seen a football game where someone didn't get hit. I've never seen a football game where someone didn't get hurt. Most football games I've seen, someone had to call a timeout to find out if the player was going to be able to get up on their own. There are going to be days like that. And then there are many times I've watched a football game and someone has been carted off to get extra help somewhere else. You're going to have days like that. Jesus says, look, I know the final score. You can even look at the final score, but you are going to have to go out there and play the game. Now, if that's what Jesus has to say about peace, then I think the real question we should be asking is, what is up with Linus coming out and telling us glory to God and peace on earth, right? It's the same thing that cute little girl said. I think she does a little bit better than Linus, but a little bit partial. She's my daughter, if you're a guest, and you wonder why. But anyway, here's it. We wonder what's going on. Here's what the angel said, and, and you hear it read by Linus every year, where he says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Well, the first problem is that it's just most often misquoted. What we hear, what we see on cards is peace on earth. Peace on earth, sometimes even peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And I'll, I'll grant you there's one version of the Bible that says it that way, and it's, it's very poorly translated. No other version says it that way. The, the way that it is best read is what you see on the screen right there. Peace on earth with those whom he has pleased. And, and so what does this really mean, glory to God, peace on earth? It means that finally there will be peace on earth between a holy God and mankind. Because for all of history, that had never happened. You see, God's perfectly holy, and the truth is we're not. And it doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are. There's a line that gets crossed. I know we like gray, but, but there really isn't. There is pure holy, and there is not pure holy. And you can be the best human ever born besides Jesus. And if you, if you think that's you, that's cool. We'll get you a t-shirt. <laughs> you can wear it around and see if you get beat up. But no, it's okay. But if, even if you think that's you, I, I promise you there's still at least one day that you, you thought something different from what God would think. You felt something different from what God would feel. And you had a response or a reaction, maybe even an action different from what God would want. And that it draws the line. Holy God on one side. And we're on the other side. And there was no peace. There's no peace between a holy God. And so people would have to keep figuring out how to get peace with God. They would go to, to the temple back in the Old Testament and they would bring an animal and they'd sacrifice an animal and the animal's blood would cover their sins. And for that moment, God would be at peace. Everything would be at peace. But then they would they'd get in a fight with somebody walking back to their house about I'm better than you or my cow was a bigger cow that I sacrificed today or I'm more special or whatever the story is. And so the peace would be gone. And what the angels are saying is like, look, because Jesus is coming, he's going to give something the earth has never had, peace between God and man while man is still on earth. Meaning not just waiting for heaven, but while on earth you can have peace. Now here's the deal. 
peace with those whom he's pleased. So who is he pleased? He's pleased with people who are right with him. He's pleased with people who are holy. And as we just established, that's none of us by ourselves, right? None of us are ever going to say every thought, every action, every word, every attitude was ever perfect, which is why we need Jesus. Because see, when Jesus died, because he lived a perfect life, this is why we say he's the savior of the world. In case you're ever wondering, why do we use that phrase? Because Jesus came, he was born as a human, which means he could pay the sins of a human. He could pay our penalty. But he lived a perfect life, so when his blood was shed on the cross, his blood paid for our sins, not his. He didn't have any to pay for. That's how he became the savior of the world. That is what the angels are talking about. Those are the people that God is pleased with. The people that he looks down and says, you look like my son. Because the Bible tells us every time we make Jesus our king, we are clothed. We are covered. It's like me putting on this jacket for Christmas services. I don't normally dress this nice, right? You guys come to Grace like this. And it's like it's, like it's Jesus' jacket. Suddenly something looks different. And God looks down and says, I don't see the normal Jimmy with his shirt tail out. I see my son. Because we're clothed in what belongs to Jesus. The simple truth what I really want us to understand tonight is that every single one of us wants peace. And we want peace in three ways. And we want peace in the world, right? Come on, anybody ever seen a Miss America pageant? Everybody wants peace in the world, right? We want peace in the world. We want peace with God. And we want peace in our souls. Here's the thing about peace in the world. You don't see it. And God wants it too. God established the world perfect peace. And when we think of peace on earth, we think that that means everybody gets along, war cease, there's agreement, there's love, there's tolerance for our disagreements, and everybody just magically gets along. But here's, here's the problem. If you remember what we were talking about a minute ago, Jesus came into the world to make people right with him. And God is going to bring perfect peace on the earth. And it's going to be both a good day and a bad day because the day that he does, all of us are going to experience what we've longed for our entire lives. But at that moment, the opportunity for people to come to know Jesus will also end. And those who are headed to heaven will, and those who are not won't. And so if you can just imagine the, the tension of like, I could bring peace on earth right now, but look at how many lives would be lost. And so he's waiting. The Bible literally tells us he's waiting for the number to be fulfilled. He's allowing us time on earth to partner with him, to help see people come to know him. And so when you go out and traffic and somebody shows you that special middle finger, you can get angry and say, God, why don't you do something? Or you can say, you know what? I'll put up with that if it'll help somebody go to heaven. And same, I'm telling you, God wants peace too. But here's the deal. We will not see peace on the earth until Jesus comes back. In the meantime, we get to be patient with God because we should want the same thing God wants, and that is for as many people as possible to come to know him. And the only answer for peace in the world is when it is done. The second thing we all want is peace with God. Look, if you go back all throughout history, you go back generations, you go back centuries, you study people all around the world, cultures that, that never had the Bible, never had scripture, never had anything. Every culture had some idea of how to appease the gods. They wanted to have peace with God. It was everything to them, right? You, you find people who are like, it's not raining. Gods aren't happy with us. And they got to figure out what to do to make the gods happy with them again. And then we come along and we actually have God's word to us. We actually have, we know what it takes to make ourselves be at peace with God. And that's what I was just talking about a minute ago. That is simply making Jesus our Savior, acknowledging that he died for us. We get to live for him and peace with God. That's the easiest one of them all for us here tonight is to have peace with God. 
And if you've never made Jesus your king, I'm going to come back and talk to you in just a minute because that's the easiest one of all three of these. What I want to talk to you about, though, is the third one, peace in our souls. So first of all, truth. If you don't have peace with God, you'll never have peace in your souls. I, I, I can't talk around that one. If you're constantly trying to figure out how to live your life without Jesus as king, you'll never feel peace right here. You're always going to experience that inner turmoil. But some of us, we have peace with God. Just statistically speaking, it's a Christmas service in the Bible Belt. The majority of you are Jesus followers. That's, that's just statistics. And yet even people who are right with God, people who are at peace with God, so often don't feel peace in their souls. It's amazing to me as a pastor when I talk to people, the number of Christians, Jesus followers that wake up and instead of, good morning, God, they wake up and they hang their head because they think about who they are, what they've done, things the enemy says. See, here's the deal. The enemy lies. You need to know this. The enemy lies. And, and so it's just like that football game. Let's go back to our football analogy. If you've ever watched them, they line up right before there's a play. They get ready before they hike the ball, and they're lined up. One team on one side, one team on the other side. The truth is, I was a band geek. I was a trumpet player, so I never did this. But I've watched football movies, so I am perfectly authorized to preach about it. Here you go. And so what happens is they line up one against the other. They talk trash. And the other team looks over at you and says, your mama's ugly. And I hope you think it's not true, <laughs> especially if your mom is here with you tonight. You're saying, what are you talking about? That's not true. My mama's a wonderful woman. He's not worried about telling the truth. According to the Bible, he's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's not really aiming for telling the truth. That's not his reputation. It's not what he's going for. So he has no problem saying anything that will take your peace. That's what he's going for. He wants to take your peace because if you can imagine one of those football players lined up, why do they talk trash? They talk trash to take their peace so that they're angry, their emotions are out of control, so that they're not focused on what they're supposed to be doing. And the next play becomes a mess. And the enemy just lies. You know something else the enemy does? Sometimes he does tell the truth. He just reminds you of what you've done. The problem, though, is if you're a Jesus follower, Jesus already paid for what you've done. And he loves the lineup. You get lined up and you're ready to go. And he says, hey, you remember the last play where you dropped the ball? Hey, you remember three, three plays ago where you fumbled? You remember, remember where you were supposed to catch the pass and you didn't? And he just begins to remind you of all the mistakes you've made in your life and everything. But, but Jesus has already forgiven you for everything you did yesterday, for everything you're going to do today, and everything you're going to do tomorrow. It, it's all forgiven by Jesus. And he's trying to bring it back up so that, first of all, we lose our peace over it. But the second thing that's even worse than that is it's like we're trying to make Jesus pay for it again. Anybody been Christmas shopping lately? Like, seriously? I went out Friday. Oh, my gosh. I decided that between now and Christmas, if Amazon or Marcos does not bring it to our house, we're doing without. Not going there again. But some of you may have had the grand adventure of going shopping, and you may have even, like, chosen Walmart, of all places, and God bless you. 
And, and I just want you to imagine this with me. You, you go to Walmart and you're fighting these crowds and the chaos and you get whatever it is you wanted to get and you go through the lines and you pay for it. And then you make your way out through the parking lot into your car, successfully not ending up on one of those YouTube run over in a Walmart parking lot videos. And then it just hits you. I just think I'm gonna go back inside, do it all again, walk around through the crowds again, go through the 30 registers with only three open and pay for the same thing all over again. And we'd say, why? It was the exact same thing when the enemy says, yeah, but how about, and don't you remember, and don't you know who you used to be? And you go, yes, and you lose your peace. It's like trying to make Jesus go through all of that death on the cross and pay for again what he's already paid for. See, one of the biggest things we need to have peace in our souls is a spiritual family. I want you to think about why you're here tonight. And the truth is you could have stayed home and you could have watched a Christmas service done by a, a, a much larger church with a lot more resources and a lot more dry ice. That dry ice was pretty cool. I wonder why they don't do that when I come out to preach. I, I would love to like levitate. Some kind. You could have watched a much better preacher because there are much better preachers. I, I watch them. That's how I, I try to get better. I'm not going to tell you their names, but you, you could have done all of that. But you're here tonight because it's about more than that. It's about the spiritual family around you. You see, when, when we do line up for that play and the enemy is talking smack and saying your mama's ugly, and remember when you drop the ball, there is nothing better when the person beside you says, I'm going to slap you when we start running. See, what you need is a brother or a sister who says, don't listen to that fool. Don't listen to those lies. And yeah, maybe you did, but you don't anymore. And maybe you did, but Jesus paid for that. And you, you want me to slap the devil for you? I'll do that for you. I'll, when, as soon as we start moving, I'm going to slap him for you. I want you to know I've got your back. It's called spiritual family. It's what we need. And so as we, as we end tonight and get ready to go out and have a wonderful Christmas season and more importantly, a wonderful 2020 and 11 more months before we just believe all of this is a platitude, I want you to have 11 months of real peace. And so there's a, a phrase, maybe some of you have heard it, shalom aleichem. It's the Hebrew words for peace upon you. It's what one person in the Old Testament would say to another in a greeting, shalom aleichem. Maybe you've at least heard the word shalom, right? It's the old word for peace. And the idea is peace upon you. There are two words, I'm gonna give you a nerd moment here because I was a nerd when I grew up and nerds always get overlooked. And now that I've got the microphone in life, I like to <laughs> help nerds have their moment in glory. There, there's a word in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word, shalom. And, and then there's a, a word in the New Testament because the New Testament was written when Jesus was walking the earth and, and right after Jesus walked the earth. And that was a time when the Roman government ruled the world, but Greek philosophy and Greek language ruled the world. So it's written in Greek. And so in the Old Testament, you have a Hebrew word, shalom, and in the New Testament, you have a Greek word that you don't care about, so I'm not going to tell you. But here's what you need to know. The Old Testament word shalom means almost exclusively peace here and never peace out there. When the Old Testament talks about having peace, it's talking about what's going on inside of you. It's not talking about what's going on around you. And the entire Greek concept of peace, just the word, the concept in Greek philosophy of peace, 
almost never talks about what's going on around you. It's talking about what's going on in you. So it turns out all of God's promises for peace are here. And if we don't understand that, that's where we can get disappointed with God really fast. We can begin to lose hope that God's words are true and that he's really going to do what he said he's going to do. All because we misquote a verse or misunderstand. We, we put an American concept on God's idea. You see, the idea of everybody getting along all the time is really a modern-day American concept more than anything. It didn't come from the Greeks. It didn't come from the Hebrews. It didn't come from Scripture. It comes from us. Matter of fact, if you were one of the 60s kids, I wasn't around for that, so sorry about that. But, uh, you know, they, they would walk around in peace. That was the thing. And I, I've just gotten into this habit lately. I've started walking out of the office. <laughs> I don't know why, but anybody's around. It's like, peace out. It just kind of started, and I'm just doing it, and it works, and it's all good. Anyway, the, here, here's the thing. They had the right idea, but the wrong direction. The 60s believed that if we could get peace by stopping the wars and get everybody to just love each other and get along, we would all eventually feel peace right here. The truth is, that's not the direction it works. The direction it works is when more people, one at a time, actually have peace here. And we begin to take that into a chaotic world and share what is going on in our hearts. I want you to think about this, this blessing because what I want for you is shalom aleichem. It's what the angel said to Mary. It's what we celebrate 2,000 or so years ago, an angel showing up and saying, peace upon you as I wreck your world. You're an unwed teenage girl. We're going to make sure you have a baby. Your, your fiance is not even going to believe it unless an angel shows up and tells him, but that'll be the end of the angel appearances. After that, everybody else is on their own, and they're probably going to accuse you of doing something immoral, and they're going to say things about your son for the next 30 years. Matter of fact, after that, everything's going to change. The story's going to change, but they're going to continue to talk about him, and many of them are going to hate him. Peace. Shalom Aleichem is my hope for you. And that is that you stop hoping that somebody's going to let you out in traffic, that the birds sing every day, that your coworkers love you, and everybody gets along. I had somebody, the first service we did this, I had somebody after the first service come up and say, Pastor, thank you so much for preaching that because Carol lives five houses down and I swear she's Satan's sister. I said, I don't think you understood a word of what I said because Carol's still going to be living there. And that's not the point. The point is I can't control if you live five houses down from Carol. I can't control who your boss is and I can't control what 2020 is going to bring. I can't control anything. But you, with Jesus, can control what happens here. That's why Jesus said, in me, you'll have peace. Because as soon as you walk out those doors, you're going to have tribulation. You're not going to have peace out there, but you're going to have peace right here. Shalom Aleichem. Can I pray for you guys? God, it is our, our greatest gift that you have brought peace to the earth so that we can be right with you, that you have brought peace to the earth inside of each of us, allowing us to bring more and more peace with every step we take, everywhere we work, every neighbor that we talk to, every family gathering that we go to, especially in these next couple of days. God, if we would understand we're, we're not expecting peace to reside there, you're expecting us to take peace where we go. 
but it starts with us experiencing peace in our own souls. So God, we ask you right now to help us to to truly understand how to be at rest, to set aside the false expectation that everything around us goes right, and to put our right expectation in the fact that you've already won. Jesus, you've already overcome the world. You've already determined the final score. So we're gonna go and play. We're gonna take some hits. We're gonna limp off the field on occasion, but we're gonna hold our heads high and our hearts calm because we're gonna look at the score and remember the end is already determined. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I wanna talk to those of you that are not sure that you have peace with God tonight. Maybe you like the idea of Jesus, that might be why you're here, but you can't say that you have ever acknowledged that he's your savior. You can't say that there's ever been that time where you've reached out and exchanged the life you're living for the one he has for you. You can't say that you've made him your king. I want to help you tonight. I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to do anything strange. I'm just going to lead you in a conversation with him right where you are, right now. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here tonight is that you would fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen, everybody. Let's celebrate with those people. Come on, amen.
Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. We're having so much fun worshiping. We believe worship should be fun here at Grace Life. So much fun to see what God is doing, to get to come together. It's such a great time of year. Everybody's favorite time of year is Christmas, right? Except for Scrooge, but even he changes by the end of the movie, so it's all good. So good. Can we just take a moment and let's welcome God here, everybody. Tell you what, God, we, we, we love you. When we think about what you've done for us, and when we truly understand the meaning of what this season represents, it's, it's not just about giving and it's not just about being kind to other people, but it is about celebrating you making everything that was wrong right by bringing the Savior for us, by bringing the Savior of the world. God, we thank you for what you have done for us. We celebrate that here tonight. In Jesus' name, everybody says? Amen. 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 I tell you what, go ahead and have a seat if you would. What do you guys think of the worship team? I think they deserve another hand. Don't you think so? Yeah, um, I tell you what, that, that was pretty impressive, and I, I'm glad that they, they, they gave me a moment, because they, they were having so much fun, they agreed I could have a little bit of time. So far, fourth service, they're still letting me come out, which is pretty good. It was, it was tough to make sure they're going to let me do that and keep going, but hey, if you're a guest, we're especially glad to have you here. Uh, as Kent said earlier, we know you could be anywhere for Christmas, and for you to share your holiday with us, we're, we're grateful for that, and so we hope you have a great time. We hope you experience God's presence for us. That's the most important thing always, and uh, the truth is Christmas is just a lot of fun to worship because we're celebrating the Savior coming into the world. And, and when we think about all of God's goodness for us and what he's done, uh, that, that changes kind of how we celebrate and, and how we worship. And, and the truth is, even people who would not say that they are worshipers of God, even this time of year, they're displaying some of these things we might call themes of Christmas, you know, like kindness and, and, and generosity and, and peace and well, the truth is those are really just parts of God's nature. And so you've got the people who worship God declaring how great he is for sending a Savior, and you've got people who don't worship God acting a little more like God. And I think that's one of the reasons that we all love Christmas so much is because it is so much closer to God's intent for our actual lives, at least for a month, right? And uh, too bad when January comes, the kindness goes away, and nobody lets you out in traffic anymore. You're on your own. Actually, I don't know. I was, I was driving the other day. That's pretty crazy out there. So uh, talking about these Christmas themes, what I actually want to talk to you about tonight is one of those. One in particular, this idea of peace. Uh, what happened for me just a couple of weeks ago, we were doing a series here, and uh, I was preaching through this passage that talks about peace. It, it specifically says that the fruit of the Spirit of God living in us, one of those things is peace. And uh, for my preparation for that sermon, I was doing a little bit of a word study, because, you know, it, sometimes we just all use what, what we think. We put what we think on things, and, and uh, it's my job to make sure I don't just tell you what I think, but what the Bible actually means. So I was doing a little bit of study, and we might say peace is just where everybody gets along, but the Bible defined peace as freedom from inner turmoil. And if you were here for that series, you reminded me, you remember me talking about that. And don't worry, I'm not going to go back and do that. But as I was preparing for that message, what hit me as I was sitting in my office that day uh, was the, the question, am I free from inner turmoil? I mean, I'm, I'm the one that's going to get up and preach about it. So you'd, you'd hope that there's a little bit better going on in here. And I had to realize like, no, 
<laughs> I, I'm not free from inner turmoil. I, I, and, and when I start thinking about what takes away my inner peace, what, what causes turmoil, uh, I realize the, the list is really long, ridiculously long, right? Anybody with me on that one? Yeah. And uh, I started thinking about, okay, you know, some of those are maybe a little bit justifiable. Some of the things on my list are, are, are big deal things and, and things you just wish wouldn't happen to you. And so I just started to think, but what about the, the ridiculous stuff? What about the stuff that shouldn't bother me that really does? And one of those things on the list was traffic. If you've been around Grace Life, I have told you my love for traffic in at least one sermon a month, kind of. That's just kind of how that goes. I, I hate traffic and the way people drive around here. And uh, it just so happened that particular week, uh, a basketball team named Stephen F. Austin took away my piece. Does anybody get that one? At least one guy's with me out there, I know. God bless you, brother. We, that was humble just to admit. But uh, So I, here's what happened, though. I, I realized the number one thing that takes away my piece that absolutely should not, because it has like no real value in life, is a letter from my HOA. Does anybody share this frustration with me? I live in the summit, and I'm telling you, there has got to be a lady who works there that her entire job description is to make the, the people who live in this community miserable. That, that, that has to be what they hired her for, and, and nothing else. And then he gave her way too many stamps. And you know, I've told you some of these stories before. It's a true story. I, I got a letter one time telling me my black mailbox wasn't black enough. Seriously, they wanted another coat of black paint on it. I got a, a letter one time telling me that I, I had not weed-eated closely enough, so I went out and weed-eated, and then right after that I got another letter that said my weed-eater had scratched the white paint off of my mailbox post and I needed to go and paint it again. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm going to slap somebody eventually. That's true, your pastor wants to slap people on occasion. I didn't say I did, I just said I wanted to, so I only sort of have to repent halfway kind of thing but I'm gonna tell you the funniest letter because I, I finally got the letters to stop coming and uh, I bet some of you want to know the secret to this so uh, what would happen is I would get these letters and my blood pressure would just go through the roof and and my kids and wife figured out if, if there's a letter from the HOA in the mail don't be around when daddy checks the mail because it, it just triggers me and the reason it triggers me is because they use words they don't need to use you know like violation Instead of just saying your grass is tall, they say you are in violation of our covenants. And then instead of just saying, please mow it, they say things like, we're going to fine you. And in order to make you pay the fines, we're going to put a lien against your house. And words like violation and fine and lien, I don't like when other people control me. I've got my own control issues. And then they do the, real, the thing that really just ticks me off the most is they tell me I've got 10 days to remedy this violation. And uh, if any of you know or try to get an appointment with me, it, it takes more than 10 days to get that to happen. I'm busy. I've, I've got things happening. And I've, sometimes I go out of town for more than 10 days. And for them to dictate what I'm doing in the next 10 days where they're putting a lien against my house makes me want to double slap one of them. But so, so I got this letter one time, and it told me I had 10 days to remedy the situation. And the problem in the letter was a picture of all of the cars that had come to my house for our small group. We have life groups here at Grace Life, and uh, the problem is my, my life group wasn't a small group that time around. We had about 40 people in it, so I'll, I'll give them that we had a lot of cars on the street. I'll give them that much. And, uh, but somebody was getting upset with all these cars, so they took a picture of it, and they sent a complaint in. And, and so I'm getting a letter two days later 
The meeting is an hour and a half long. The cars had been gone for like 48 hours by the time I get the letter that says I have 10 days to remedy this situation. But I know actually in about five days I'm going to repeat the situation instead of remedy it. So I'm pretty frustrated. And so I go over to the office to start to, to talk about this with them and, and explain to the lady, you didn't need to send this. Because I live near the office, so she has to drive by my house going to the office. And I made it very clear, like, before you got in that day, when you checked your email and there was a complaint about me, you had just driven by. It was already remedied. The violation was already taken care of. You didn't need to send this. And she says, sir, if a complaint is registered, we have to send it out. I said, no, you don't. You can have a brain. Yes, I literally did say that. And, and, and we kept going from there. So she got a little more animated, and I got a little more animated, and so I just let the pastor come out. I said, you know, I happen to know the covenants, and I had, there is no problem with people inviting people over for Thanksgiving dinner, and, and they might park on the street. Of course, they'll be gone in a couple hours. And, and I know that people can have birthday parties and people park on the street. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that. I said, so you're actually going to put a lien against a pastor's house for having a Bible study in the Bible belt. Are you sure you want to do that? I haven't had a letter since. <laughs> and I am at complete peace, just so you know. Anyway, so as I was thinking about all that, clearly this was just about two weeks ago, and Christmas is everywhere, right? And we've got all these decorations that say peace, and we're, we're talking about peace, and we've got songs, and we're singing about peace. And uh, we even know that Linus comes out and tells us we're supposed to have peace on earth, but we don't see peace on earth. And so the reason I wanted to talk about that tonight is because I know what can begin to happen is we, we think about all of these warm and fuzzy feelings we get at Christmas and all of these things that we talk about and decorate our house with, they could maybe just be platitudes. They could just be ideals that we talk about, but we don't really believe God will ever do, that he'll never really make this a reality in our lives. And we become disappointed and we're going to go into a new year and We've got 11 more months before those platitudes come back around where we've got to live a real life. So what I really want to talk to us about today is, is how to have real peace. I, I want us to have peace, and we can have peace. But if we're going to have real peace, we have to have the kind of peace God actually promises to give us. And so that's what we're going to look at. Uh, the good news is I'm only going to show you three little scriptures tonight, three little verses. And uh, I think it totals six sentences altogether, so it'll be quick and painless. And, uh, but, but check these out, uh, three of them. And two of them are by Jesus, two are what Jesus said. And one of them was said about Jesus that we sing songs about this time of year. So they'll be on the screens right here, and you can look at them. And the first thing that Jesus said, do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No. I just think that's funny. Now, now maybe uh, you've read your Bible a lot and, and you knew that spoiler alert was kind of coming. But the truth is, if you're not familiar with reading the Bible a lot and you've heard about Jesus being called the Prince of Peace, right? I mean, it was prophesied hundreds of years before his birth. Uh, that wonderful counselor, everlasting father, Prince of Peace. That's, that's who he is. He's coming, right? And uh, Isaiah said that long, long ago. And then we sing all these songs about peace. So you would think Jesus' answer would have been yes. But his answer was No. I didn't come to bring peace. The truth is, to tell you, I, I came to bring division. And what that means is we, we get the idea that everybody's always going to get along. And Jesus is saying, actually, the truth is, I'm going to cause more trouble than I'm going to solve, at least for a while. He even went on to say, look, here's what's going to happen. When people believe in me, there are going to be people who don't believe in me that are going to hate those people. And there's going to cause frustration and tension. There, there are going to be 
mothers that turn against daughters. There are going to be fathers that turn against sons. There are going to be brothers that turn against sisters. Because anybody who stands for me is going to have someone that's frustrated about it. I've got a good friend of mine here. uh, A little over a year ago, he was atheist, grew up in an atheistic home. The whole family wanted nothing to do with God. And now, man, he is excited for what Jesus is doing. Uh, He started Bible college. He's going to become a pastor. Amazing things are happening in his family. Can you imagine how family visits are going for him right now? Right? I mean, there's just division everywhere. There are wars, wars that have been fought between nations because some believe in Jesus as the Son of God, And some other nations, or at least the the predominant number of people in them, believe Jesus is not the Son of God. And it's their job to do something about those who believe Jesus is the Son of God. He knew, and he said all along, there's going to be more division than there's going to be peace. Second thing Jesus said, he was talking to his disciples closer to the end of his time on earth. And he said, I've said these things to you, so that in me you may have peace. Because in the world you're going to have trouble or tribulation. but, But take heart. Because I've overcome the world. And it kind of ends on like a cheery note. But take heart, I've overcome the world. But let's just back up for a minute because I did not read the whole passage to you. It was a couple of chapters that Jesus had been talking. And and he says, I've said these things so that you'd have peace. So if you're imagining, what are the things that he would have said? What are the kind of things that he would have said to people to to have peace? Like, well, I'm I'm getting ready to go to heaven and streets will be gold and you're going to come with me and you're never going to have another problem and the world's going to love you and... But that's not what he said. What he actually said was, the world is going to hate you. They're specifically going to hate you because of me. Matter of fact, I'm going to leave. (laughs) The world's going to hate you, and I'm going to leave you, and you can't come with me right now. And you're going to feel like you've been abandoned. And they're going to persecute you. And I'm thinking, okay, and I read the Bible with a sense of humor. I don't know if you do or not, but I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I know Jesus is supposed to be perfect, and he is perfect. That's the only way this works. But does Jesus being perfect include, like, grammar? Because to say, the world is going to hate you, I'm going to leave you, you're going to feel abandoned, you're going to be persecuted, so peace! I'm thinking, Jesus, you got the word wrong. Like, seriously, something's not working here. But if you go back to the definition, he got the word exactly right. See, what he promises is freedom from inner turmoil. He never promises freedom from outer turmoil. Matter of fact, he makes it real clear that if I tell you outer turmoil is coming, if I describe it to you so well that you could, could just describe your entire day, when it happens, you'll go, by golly, Jesus was right. He must actually be in charge. He must have actually overcome. I can be at rest now. The whole idea is that we can be at peace because he told us life's going to be hard. Yeah, but, but when we get to the last part of that, right, it ends on a happy note. Hey, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And, and some people read this to, to think that it erases what he just said. In the world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And, and so they think what that means is that we're not really going to have trouble in the world because Jesus overcame the world, right? No, that's not what it means at all. What it means is, like, I'm, I'm going to give you an analogy of a football game. And what it means is Jesus says, you've won. I've won. I've seen the score. I determined the score. But you're still going to have to play the game. And if you've ever watched a football game, that means you're going to get hit. No one plays a football game without getting hit. Matter of fact, some of you are going to get hurt. I've watched many football games. I've never seen a football game where someone didn't get hit. I've never seen a football game where someone didn't get hurt. 
Most football games I've seen, someone had to call a timeout to find out if the player was going to be able to get up on their own. There are going to be days like that. And then there are many times I've watched a football game and someone has been carted off to get extra help somewhere else. You're going to have days like that. Jesus says, look, I know the final score. You can even look at the final score, but you are going to have to go out there and play the game. Now, if that's what Jesus has to say about peace, then I think the real question we should be asking is, what is up with Linus coming out and telling us glory to God and peace on earth, right? It's the same thing that cute little girl said. I think she does a little bit better than Linus, but a little bit partial. She's my daughter, if you're a guest, and you wonder why. But anyway, here's it. We wonder what's going on. Here's what the angel said, and, and you hear it read by Linus every year, where he says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Well, the first problem is that it's just most often misquoted. What we hear, what we see on cards is peace on earth. Peace on earth, sometimes even peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And I'll, I'll grant you there's one version of the Bible that says it that way, and it's, it's very poorly translated. No other version says it that way. The, the way that it is best read is what you see on the screen right there. Peace on earth with those whom he has pleased. And, and so what does this really mean, glory to God, peace on earth? It means that finally there will be peace on earth between a holy God and mankind. Because for all of history, that had never happened. You see, God's perfectly holy, and the truth is we're not. And it doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are. There's a line that gets crossed. I know we like gray, but, but there really isn't. There is pure holy, and there is not pure holy. And you can be the best human ever born besides Jesus. And if you, if you think that's you, that's cool. We'll get you a t-shirt. <laughs> you can wear it around and see if you get beat up. But no, it's okay. But if, even if you think that's you, I, I promise you there's still at least one day that you, you thought something different from what God would think. You felt something different from what God would feel. And you had a response or a reaction, maybe even an action different from what God would want. And that it draws the line. Holy God on one side. And we're on the other side. And there was no peace. There's no peace between a holy God. And so people would have to keep figuring out how to get peace with God. They would go to, to the temple back in the Old Testament and they would bring an animal and they'd sacrifice an animal and the animal's blood would cover their sins. And for that moment, God would be at peace. Everything would be at peace. But then they would they'd get in a fight with somebody walking back to their house about I'm better than you or my cow was a bigger cow that I sacrificed today or I'm more special or whatever the story is. And so the peace would be gone. And what the angels are saying is like, look, because Jesus is coming, he's going to give something the earth has never had. Peace between God and man while man is still on earth. Meaning not just waiting for heaven, but while on earth you can have peace. And here's the deal. Peace with those whom he's pleased. So who is he pleased? He's pleased with people who are right with him. He's pleased with people who are holy. And as we just established, that's none of us by ourselves, right? None of us are ever going to say every thought, every action, every word, every attitude was ever perfect, which is why we need Jesus. Because see, when Jesus died, because he lived a perfect life, this is why we say he's the savior of the world. In case you're ever wondering, why do we use that phrase? Because Jesus came, he was born as a human, which means he could pay the sins of a human. He could pay our penalty. But he lived a perfect life, so when his blood was shed on the cross, his blood paid for our sins, not his. He didn't have any to pay for. That's how he became the savior of the world. That is what the angels are talking about. Those are the people that God is pleased with. The people that he looks down and says, you look like my son. 
Because the Bible tells us every time we make Jesus our king, we are clothed. We are covered. It's like me putting on this jacket for Christmas services. I don't normally dress this nice, right? You guys come to Grace like this. And it's like it's, like it's Jesus' jacket. Suddenly something looks different. And God looks down and says, I don't see the normal Jimmy with his shirt tail out. I see my son. Because we're clothed in what belongs to Jesus. The simple truth, what I really want us to understand tonight, is that every single one of us wants peace. And we want peace in three ways. And we want peace in the world. Right, come on, anybody ever seen a Miss America pageant? Everybody wants peace in the world, right? We want peace in the world, we want peace with God, and we want peace in our souls. Here's the thing about peace in the world. You don't see it, and God wants it too. God established the world perfect peace. And, and when we think of peace on earth, we think that that means everybody gets along, war cease, there's agreement, there's love, there's tolerance for our disagreements, and everybody just magically gets along. But here's, here's the problem. If you remember what we were talking about a minute ago, Jesus came into the world to make people right with him. And God is going to bring perfect peace on the earth. And it's going to be both a good day and a bad day because the day that he does, all of us are going to experience what we've longed for our entire lives. But at that moment, the opportunity for people to come to know Jesus will also end. And those who are headed to heaven will, and those who are not won't. And so if you can just imagine the, the tension of like, I could bring peace on earth right now, but look at how many lives would be lost. And so he's waiting. The Bible literally tells us he's waiting for the number to be fulfilled. He's allowing us time on earth to partner with him, to help see people come to know him. And so when you go out and traffic and somebody shows you that special middle finger, you can get angry and say, God, why don't you do something? Or you can say, you know what? I'll put up with that if it'll help somebody go to heaven. Same, I'm telling you, God wants peace too. But here's the deal. We will not see peace on the earth until Jesus comes back. In the meantime, we get to be patient with God because we should want the same thing God wants, and that is for as many people as possible to come to know him. And the only answer for peace in the world is when it is done. The second thing we all want is peace with God. Look, if you go back all throughout history, you go back generations, you go back centuries, you study people all around the world, cultures, that, that never had the Bible, never had scripture, never had anything. Every culture had some idea of how to appease the gods. They wanted to have peace with God. It was everything to them, right? You, you find people who are like, it's not raining. Gods aren't happy with us. And they got to figure out what to do to make the gods happy with them again. And then we come along and we actually have God's word to us. We actually have, we know what it takes to make ourselves be at peace with God. And that's what I was just talking about a minute ago. That is simply making Jesus our Savior, acknowledging that he died for us. We get to live for him and peace with God. That's the easiest one of them all for us here tonight is to have peace with God. And if you've never made Jesus your king, I'm going to come back and talk to you in just a minute because that's the easiest one of all three of these. What I want to talk to you about, though, is the third one, peace in our souls. So first of all, truth. If you don't have peace with God, you'll never have peace in your souls. I, I, I can't talk around that one. If you're constantly trying to figure out how to live your life without Jesus as king, you'll never feel peace right here. You're always going to experience that inner turmoil. But some of us, we have peace with God. Just statistically speaking, it's a Christmas service in the Bible Belt. The majority of you are Jesus followers. That's, that's just statistics. And yet even people who are right with God, people who are at peace with God, so often don't feel peace in their souls. It's amazing to me as a pastor when I talk to people, the number of Christians 
Jesus followers that wake up and instead of good morning God they wake up and they hang their head because they think about who they are what they've done things the enemy says see here's the deal the enemy lies you need to know this the enemy lies and, and so it's just like that football game. Let's go back to our football analogy. If you've ever watched them, they line up right before there's a play. They get ready before they hike the ball, and they're lined up. One team on one side, one team on the other side. The truth is, I was a band geek. I was a trumpet player, so I never did this. But I've watched football movies, so I am perfectly authorized to preach about it. Here you go. And so what happens is they line up one against the other. They talk trash. And the other team looks over at you and says, Your mama's ugly. And I hope you think it's not true, <laughs> especially if your mom is here with you tonight. You're, you're saying, what are you talking about? That's not true. My mom is a wonderful woman. He's not worried about telling the truth. According to the Bible, he's a liar. He's the father of lies. He, he's not really aiming for telling the truth. That, that's not his reputation. It's not what he's going for. So he has no problem saying anything that will take your peace. That's what he's going for. He wants to take your peace because if you can imagine one of those football players lined up, why do they talk trash? They talk trash to take their peace so that they're angry, their emotions are out of control, so that they're not focused on what they're supposed to be doing, and the next play becomes a mess. And the enemy just lies. You know something else the enemy does? Sometimes he does tell the truth. He just reminds you of what you've done. The problem, though, is if you're a Jesus follower, Jesus already paid for what you've done. And he loves the lineup. You get lined up and you're ready to go. And he says, hey, you remember the last play where you dropped the ball? Hey, you remember three, three plays ago where you fumbled? You remember, remember where you were supposed to catch the pass and you didn't? And he just begins to remind you of all the mistakes you've made in your life and everything. But, but Jesus has already forgiven you for everything you did yesterday, for everything you're going to do today, and everything you're going to do tomorrow. It's all forgiven by Jesus. And he's trying to bring it back up so that, first of all, we lose our peace over it. But the second thing that's even worse than that is it's like we're trying to make Jesus pay for it again. Anybody been Christmas shopping lately? Like, seriously? I went out Friday. Oh, my gosh. I decided that between now and Christmas, if Amazon or Marcos does not bring it to our house, we're doing without. Not going there again. But some of you may have had the grand adventure of going shopping, and you may have even, like, chosen Walmart of all places, and God bless you. And I just want you to imagine this with me. You, you go to Walmart and you're fighting these crowds and the chaos and you get whatever it is you wanted to get and you go through the lines and you pay for it. And then you make your way out through the parking lot into your car, successfully not ending up on one of those YouTube run over in a Walmart parking lot videos. And then it just hits you. I just think I'm going to go back inside, do it all again, walk around through the crowds again. Go through the 30 registers with only three open and pay for the same thing all over again. And we'd say, why? It was the exact same thing when the enemy says, yeah, but how about? And don't you remember? And don't you know who you used to be? And you go, yes. And you lose your peace. It's like trying to make Jesus go through all of that death on the cross and pay for again what he's already paid for. See, one of the biggest things we need to have peace in our souls is a spiritual family. I want you to think about why you're here tonight. 
And the truth is, you could have stayed home and you could have watched a Christmas service done by a, a, a much larger church with a lot more resources and a lot more dry ice. That dry ice was pretty cool. I wonder why they don't do that when I come out to preach. I, I would love to like levitate. Some kind. You could have watched a much better preacher because there are much better preachers. I, I watch them. That's how I, I try to get better. I'm not going to tell you their names, but you, you could have done all of that. But you're here tonight because it's about more than that. It's about the spiritual family around you. You see, when, when we do line up for that play and the enemy is talking smack and saying your mama's ugly, and remember when you drop the ball, there is nothing better when the person beside you says, I'm going to slap you when we start running. See, what you need is a brother or a sister who says, don't listen to that fool. Don't listen to those lies. And yeah, maybe you did, but you don't anymore. And maybe you did, but Jesus paid for that. And you, you want me to slap the devil for you? I'll do that for you. I'll, when, as soon as we start moving, I'm going to slap him for you. I want you to know I've got your back. It's called spiritual family. It's what we need. And so as we, as we end tonight and get ready to go out and have a wonderful Christmas season and more importantly, a wonderful 2020 and 11 more months before we just believe all of this is a platitude, I want you to have 11 months of real peace. And so there's a, a phrase, maybe some of you have heard it, shalom aleichem. It's the Hebrew words for peace upon you. It's what one person in the Old Testament would say to another in a greeting, shalom aleichem. Maybe you've at least heard the word shalom, right? It's the old word for peace. And the idea is peace upon you. There are two words. I'm going to give you a nerd moment here because I was a nerd when I grew up and nerds always get overlooked. And now that I've got the microphone in life, I like to <laughs> help nerds have their moment in glory. There, there's a word in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word, shalom. And, and then there's a, a word in the New Testament because the New Testament was written when Jesus was walking the earth and, and right after Jesus walked the earth. And that was a time when the Roman government ruled the world, but Greek philosophy and Greek language ruled the world. So it's written in Greek. And so in the Old Testament, you have a Hebrew word, shalom, and in the New Testament, you have a Greek word that you don't care about, so I'm not going to tell you. But here's what you need to know. The Old Testament word shalom means almost exclusively peace here and never peace out there. When the Old Testament talks about having peace, it's talking about what's going on inside of you. It's not talking about what's going on around you. And the entire Greek concept of peace, just the word, the concept in Greek philosophy of peace, almost never talks about what's going on around you. It's talking about what's going on in you. So it turns out all of God's promises for peace are here. And if we don't understand that, that's where we can get disappointed with God really fast. We can begin to lose hope that God's words are true and that he's really going to do what he said he's going to do. All because we misquote a verse or misunderstand. We, we put an American concept on God's idea. You see, the idea of everybody getting along all the time is really a modern day American concept more than anything. It didn't come from the Greeks. It didn't come from the Hebrews. It didn't come from scripture. It comes from us. Matter of fact, if you were one of the 60s kids, I wasn't around for that, so sorry about that, but uh, you know, they, they would walk around in peace, that was the thing. And I, I've just gotten into this habit lately, I've started walking out of the office, <laughs> I don't know why, but anybody's around, it's like, peace out! It just kind of started, and I'm just doing it, and it works, and it's all good. Anyway, the, here, here's the thing, they had the right idea, but the wrong direction. The 60s 
believed that if we could get peace by stopping the wars and get everybody to just love each other and get along, we would all eventually feel peace right here. The truth is, that's not the direction it works. The direction it works is when more people, one at a time, actually have peace here. And we begin to take that into a chaotic world and share what is going on in our hearts. I want you to think about this, this blessing because what I want for you is shalom aleichem. It's what the angel said to Mary. It's what we celebrate 2,000 or so years ago, an angel showing up and saying, peace upon you as I wreck your world. You're an unwed teenage girl. We're going to make sure you have a baby. Your, your fiance is not even going to believe it unless an angel shows up and tells him, but that'll be the end of the angel appearances. After that, everybody else is on their own, and they're probably going to accuse you of doing something immoral, and they're going to say things about your son for the next 30 years. Matter of fact, after that, everything's going to change. The story's going to change, but they're going to continue to talk about him, and many of them are going to hate him. Peace. Shalom Aleichem is my hope for you. And that is that you stop hoping that somebody's going to let you out in traffic, that the birds sing every day, that your coworkers love you, and everybody gets along. I had somebody, the first service we did this, I had somebody after the first service come up and say, Pastor, thank you so much for preaching that because Carol lives five houses down and I swear she's Satan's sister. I said, I don't think you understood a word of what I said because Carol's still going to be living there. And that's not the point. The point is I can't control if you live five houses down from Carol. I can't control who your boss is, and I can't control what 2020 is going to bring. I can't control anything. But you, with Jesus, can control what happens here. That's why Jesus said, in me, you'll have peace. Because as soon as you walk out those doors, you're going to have tribulation. You're not going to have peace out there. But you can have peace right here. Shalom Aleichem. Can I pray for you guys? God, it is our, our greatest gift that you have brought peace to the earth so that we can be right with you, that you have brought peace to the earth inside of each of us, allowing us to bring more and more peace with every step we take, everywhere we work, every neighbor that we talk to, every family gathering that we go to especially in these next couple of days god if we would understand we're we're not expecting peace to reside there you're expecting us to take peace where we go but it starts with us experiencing peace in our own souls so god we ask you right now to help us to to truly understand how to be at rest to set aside the false expectation that everything around us goes right and to put our right expectation in the fact that you've already won Jesus you've already overcome the world you've already determined the final score so we're going to go and play we're going to take some hits we're going to limp off the field on occasion but we're going to hold our heads high And our hearts calm because we're going to look at the score and remember the end is already determined. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you that are not sure that you have peace with God tonight. Maybe you like the idea of Jesus. That might be why you're here. 
but you can't say that you have ever acknowledged that he's your savior. You can't say that there's ever been that time where you've reached out and exchanged the life you're living for the one he has for you. You can't say that you've made him your king. I want to help you tonight. I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to do anything strange. I'm just going to lead you in a conversation with him right where you are, right now. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here tonight is that you would fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen, everybody. Let's celebrate with those people. Come on, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.